Angela, y'all didn't sing that song because I preached about that song last week, did you? Huh? You sure? It was just coincidence? Oh, okay, it was God. Turn in with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. Those of you who are going to Children's Church, if you will go, my, hey Maggie, go with Miss Maggie to my left and to your right. Last week as we started getting ready to, to celebrate Christmas, we looked at the first coming of Christ and then we considered how he would come again. And he's coming, amen? amen. It, it might be today. As a matter of fact, I was scrolling through this past week on social media and there was a uh, a lady who had done a tremendous amount of research. She had gone through scriptures and she tried her very best to, to prove in scripture that Jesus was going to return yesterday, <laughs> December 4th. Now, I mean, I, some of y'all were snickering, but li let's listen to me. That's the heart we need to have. The, the heart of anticipation that Jesus is coming. And it ought to both scare us and thrill us to death. Amen? So last week we, we considered his coming again. We remembered that when Jesus came the first time, it was the most perfect time in history of the world for him to come and for the gospel to spread. His second coming will be the perfect timing of God the Father. We knew the condition of the world when Jesus came, and we were told that what, what the world would look like when he comes again. We know that when Jesus came the first time, he came into the world with, with a very with a, into a very humble manner, in a very humble manner. The second time he comes, he will come in the clouds on a white horse as a victor. Amen. Now that should have gotten a little more response than that. My Jesus, the second time he comes, he's not coming as a, a, a humble baby in a manger, in a, in, a, in a trough. He's coming on a white horse as a victor. Amen. Now, we know that when Jesus came the first time, a heavenly host of angels proclaimed his birth. And we know when he comes again, we'll hear the trump of God sound for all to hear. Now, this morning, we're going to explore the identity of the child of Christmas. That's the title of the message, the identity of Christmas. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. <clears throat> Isaiah 9 verse 1 says, Nevertheless, the gloom and distress land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land of, of Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their burdensome yoke and the rod, uh, and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For the trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be, will be 
vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we come to you asking forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word because it is your word. God, we thank you that you wrote this to us so many years ago that we'd have hope. God, open our eyes right now. Help us to feel your presence. Help us to understand what it is that you've written, why you wrote it, how you wrote it. And Lord, help us to understand that it was written in such a way that it would be preserved for us today. It's just as important for us today as it was in the day that it was written. Be with us right now, Lord. In Jesus' name I do pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. I I want to, to just take a moment to remind you that what we just read was written by the prophet Isaiah between 740 and 700 years before Christ came. Think about that. 740 and 700 years before Christ came. Church, God was using his prophet not only to announce to the world of his his son's coming, but to announce of his ultimate position when he came. This morning, we're going to see what Jesus did and what he will do in the future. And all of this is written for us to see over 700 years before Jesus came. That's pretty miraculous, is it not? People say, oh, you know, I, I, I just wish, I wish that I, I could have proof. I wish that, that, that something would happen, something miraculous would take place. And, and I could believe, just like you believe, that Jesus is who he says he is. Understand this, please understand this. When you're trying to convince somebody that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God, point to this scripture. This scripture was seven, written 700 years before Jesus even came. And it identifies perfectly who Jesus was. As I've told y'all many times, Jesus, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies concerning who he was and who he'd be. The likelihood that he could fulfill five of those, those prophecies is like one in a million. But he fulfilled them all, and he's continuing to feel, fulfill them all. Before it's all said and done, after the millennial reign of Christ, he will have fulfilled them all. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. Who could do such a thing? Who could do such a thing as this? Church, only God. Only God. Church, if you were to go home this afternoon, and I encourage you to, and read the chapter before our scripture, and read the chapter after our scripture, you'll see a lot of gloom and doom. A lot of gloom and doom. A whole lot of gloom and doom. Desperity taking place. And it's all the Hebrew children's fault. The Hebrew children had crossed the line with God. He had warned them and warned them and warned them over and over and over again to come back to me. As a matter of fact, my Wednesday night crowd, if you closed your Bible and put your ear up to the Old Testament, what does the Old Testament scream to you? Return to me. Return to me. That is the overall theme throughout the Old Testament. Return to me. 
but they wouldn't return to him. Each time a prophet would come and deliver a warning, some would repent, some, all of them should have, but many would not. And their sins towards God would increase in intensity over a period of time against God, a God that they claimed to love and serve. Did y'all catch that? Over a period of time, some wouldn't repent, some would repent, but their sin, their sinfulness over a period of time intensified towards the very one they said they loved and served the most. That doesn't make sense, does it? Brother Kerry, that doesn't make sense, does it? If I say I love and serve somebody, my love and my service to them should intensify. My sins shouldn't, right? That's hitting, hitting kind of close at home, isn't it? Chapters 8, which is prior to our scripture this morning, and, and, and chapter 10, which is after our scripture this morning, tell of Israel's captivity from a foreign nation, meaning God's hand of protection would be gone. It would be gone. In chapters 8 and 10, it's, it's terrible. But right there in between chapters 8 and 10, church is a message of hope. It's a message of hope. A message of redemption, a message of promise. There were some Jews who, who clung to this promise. They looked, they were waiting, they were watching, they were looking for signs, they were looking for wonders, they were looking at the sky, hoping and praying that the Messiah would come. Church, the sad reality of that same message today is this. There are some right now, some Jews, some Hebrew children who are still waiting for their Messiah to come, and he's already come. God couldn't have made it any clearer. How much clearer could he have made it? It's right here. It's right here. I can imagine, I mean, I understand, you know, a, a Sadducee not, not, not believe in this because they don't go any, anywhere past the law, the first five books of, of, of the Bible. They don't, they don't look any, nothing else is, is prevalent to them except for the first five books of the Bible. But every other Jew, this was there for them to see. Even the ones who persecuted the prophets could clearly see this. It's a message of hope and redemption. So what is it that we see in our Scripture? that identifies Jesus and gives the identity of God's Son. Well, we see in verse, one, verse 2 that people were walking in darkness have seen a light. A light has dawned, church. A light has dawned. Now, some, some could and may, may even say that, that they've looked at the Scripture and say that it gives reference to the star of Bethlehem shining for all the world to see when Jesus came into this world. We, we, we'll come back to, to the light in a minute. But I want us to focus on the dawn, the dawn that we see in our Scripture. Our Scripture tells us that a light has dawned. A light has dawned. What that means is a new beginning. That church is what Jesus offers a, a, a new beginning every single day. Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and look, new things have come. Church, Jesus offers a new dawn every single day. Amen. Brother Kyle, can you explain that? I, I, I can't. I can't. I know that 1 John tells us that if a man says he's without sin, he's a liar, and therefore he is a sinful person. He's a sinner. For us to say that we're without sin. Uh, but the thing that, that just boggles me is this. 
He gives me a new dawn every day. A new dawn every day. I, I, I love sunsets. I love, love, love sunsets. When Amy and I were allowed to go out on the ocean on those big ships, I used to, we, I used to try to wolf down dinner so I could get all, out on the deck and watch the sunset. I like to sleep when the sun comes up. Y'all listen, I used for, for I don't know how many years I had to be at work at 4.30. At work at 4.30. Now, if I can sleep, if I can sleep, I'm going to sleep. Amen? Amen? But the rising of the sun, there's just something about it. I, I think the last time that, that Amy and I took a point to make it for a sunrise, we were in Melbourne, Florida, and she was looking for turtles. That's the only time she, hey, listen, if she can find turtles, we're up. She was wanting to get up at 4 o'clock, and I said, oh, honey, the turtles are asleep at 4 o'clock. She didn't believe <laughs> She didn't believe me. I tried to convince her. I said, so they, they sleep. They, they're gone by 4, 4 a.m. But we were, we were on Melbourne Beach, and if y'all hadn't ever been there, it's a beautiful, beautiful beach. And the sun, you could, you know, it was starting to light the sky, and we were looking for turtles. But just the, the crest of the sun came across the horizon. And it just lit up everything. And, and as it rose, it scattered all darkness that was, was in its path. No, nothing could hide from this, this new beginning that was rising up out of the ocean. Do you realize, listen, do you realize that's what Jesus does for us every single day? It doesn't matter what you've done, who you've done, how bad you have been. If you will repent of your sins, confess your sins to Jesus, ask him to forgive you, and ask the ones that you committed the sins again to, to forgive you. You have a dawn of a new day every single day. That's what Jesus offers us. That's the identity that, that Isaiah is building in chapter 9. A new dawn. A new dawn is approaching. He also, he also offers us salvation through himself every single day. Jesus plainly said in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is what Isaiah is pointing to. Listen to me, church. 700 years before Jesus was born. He says, God, you know, I, I can imagine him writing this. God poured it into him, and he had to write it. But you can't explain it. How do you explain this to the people you're writing to? He, I can imagine, he's like, I, I don't understand this, but I can tell you this. When the Messiah comes, he is going to shatter the darkness. Going to shatter the darkness. For us as believers, you know what that means? It doesn't matter. We shouldn't walk into a dark place. But when we walk into some place that has darkness, the Holy Spirit of God enlightens us and says, don't go there. Don't, don't do that. That's darkness. Your light, it doesn't go together. He shatters the darkness. But there's something else we see here in our Scripture. We see in verse 3 that Jesus enlarged the nation and increased its joy. He enlarged the nation and increased its joy. How is it that Jesus enlarged the nation? How is it that he did that? 
I mean, we, we have to really sit back, Ricky Tyre, and think about this one here for a second. He enlarged the nation, increased the joy. Church by himself is the way to reach the Gentile world. The whomsoever, the whomsoever, you know, in John, chapter, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whomsoever, that whomsoever was activated through Jesus Christ. It was activated. And when this happened, when this happened, Joy increased. Well, how did joy increase? Like people at the end of a harvest. When it happened, joy increased. Like people at the end of a harvest. Now, some of y'all grew up on a farm. I didn't grow up on a farm, but I grew up with a daddy who grew up on a farm. So we didn't have a farm, but we had a tremendous, tremendous garden. And we had to, I don't know, I guess he was trying to teach us, and I love gardening, but I ain't going to have the five or six acres that he had. No, no, no. I mean, my little plot behind that chicken coop is, is fine enough. But in the spring, I dreaded Easter. Dreaded Easter. Y'all know Why? Because you, if a, a good farmer will look at the farmer's almanac, which is hoo-ha, but they'll, they'll always plant. When will they plant? Good Friday. Good Friday. So as Easter approached, I knew what was going to happen. You see, this is what happened. Dad would go out there, and he would, he would plow the field, right? And, and then he'd get his hoe. And we'd walk down the aisles, and he'd make holes. You know what we had to do? We had to throw the seeds in the hole, bend over and cover it, bend over and cover it, bend over and cover it, bend over and cover it. And our rows were about, from where I'm standing, to Courtney's front yard. That's how long the rows were. Just the start of it. That's just the start of it. Then it rains, y'all. And you know what happens when, it's, when it rains and you plant the seeds? The seeds grow. That beautiful seed that you plant in the ground, that miracle, that little seed starts to grow. And it gets about like this. And you leave it alone. You don't touch it. Those are good days, right? You just go out there, oh, look at that. It's coming up out of the ground. Ooh, it's coming up out of the ground. But oh, no, not with my dad. You, you see... This one's coming up out of the ground, and this one's coming up out of the ground, and that one, and that one. Oh, look, that one, that one, that one. Oh, there's a bare spot right there. We're going to have to plant another seed. Right? Some of y'all know where I'm, y'all, y'all remember, y'all parents like that? We can't have on, 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 on you know, a spot that's, that's empty. But then they'd get about this tall. Y'all know what you had to do then, right? Now it's, it's about, oh, I don't know, getting close to June in the upstate of South Carolina right into the low state of, of North Carolina. You got to get out there with the hoe. Five acres, hoeing it. That's child, I should have called him child labor. <laughs> if I'd have known, I would have, y'all. I'd have reported him. But then after, you know, you, you weed it several times, and it grows, and the fruit comes on it. About July, with butter beans and field peas, guess what you got to do? You got to pick them. You, you got to pick them. 
Five-gallon buckets. My dad, my, listen, I, y'all, I tell y'all I tell you I'm cheap. My dad, oh, my dad was cheap too. He, he was, uh, sold real estate. And he'd do, go dumpster diving like me and you do, Poppy. And he'd get the, the paint buckets out and clean them out. And we had just buckets all over the back porch. I should have burned them buckets. He'd fill them full of butter beans and filled peas, and then he'd take them to the house. We'd take them to the house, and he'd set them in the, in, in the den, and this is what he'd say. I, listen, if I'm lying, I'm dying. This is what my daddy would say. He'd say this. When I come home, I want them shelled. About the only thing we didn't have to do, Roland, was we didn't have to blanch them and put them in the bags and put them in the freezer. He, he did that. He didn't trust us with that. He didn't. But I'm going to tell you what I did do several times out of spite. And I'm, I'm, I ain't going to, listen, I'd sit there until my thumbs were about to f- just fall off, green all in there. Just, I mean, you could, oh, they, do y'all remember? Just, oh, it hurt so bad. I'd grab a handful of those peas and I'd throw them in the bucket. I don't care, listen, especially at the end, I'd say, this is done. And I'd put the, the, the shells the, you know, that on top of them and I'd take them out and throw them. Listen, that, yeah, tired of it. As soon as the butter beans and the field peas were done, guess what? Here comes the corn. Right? Well, Brother Kyle, you're, what, what are you saying here? When, when the harvest was over, I rejoiced. I get this. I understand it. Now, I don't understand it in the complexity that my dad did because they did tobacco and they, they did cotton. I, my, my grandmother said she used to pick cotton a penny a pound. Anybody want to sign up for that? A penny a pound. I, okay, I believe it. They rejoice. Listen, when the, when the land increased, the joy increased, how did they increase? Well, like the end of harvest. I get that. That's unbelievable. But he says this as well. He says they, they, they will rejoice like people dividing spoils. Colonel, you get this, right? Now, y'all, y'all weren't allowed to you know, divide the spoils, you know, but it's time for war. You get all the provisions, you, you prepare for battle, you go into battle, you, you win the battle, the battle is over, the battle is done, the, the enemy has surrendered, it's all done and over with, and then you divide the spoils from the battle. That is the type of rejoicing, that is the type of praise that Isaiah is speaking of when Jesus comes. Now, Isaiah tells us in verse 4 that Jesus will shatter the burden, burdensome yoke. Y'all know what a yoke is, y'all young people? It says, J- not you, Dan. You, Dan's sitting there. Yeah, Dan, you're not young. It says, Jesus will shatter the burdensome yoke. Well, back in that day, I mean, really, back until about 50, 60, 70 years ago, the way a lot of farmers would plow their, their fields was either oxen or mule. I remember Thad Daddle, one of my professors in college, taught on this years ago, on the G and the ha, the G and the ha. It was a great message, Billy. I wish I had that message today. But a yoke is a wooden beam. You can probably go see, where's, Tashanda, y'all probably have one up on, hanging on the wall at, at Cracker Barrel, a yoke. And you hang it between the, the, on the animal's necks to keep them in line. And you hold stirrups on both sides, and you do this to make a straight straight road. Now, what I'm saying is this, those animals that the, the yoke is around is in complete control of your two hands. Your two hands are controlling that every move of that animal. What Scripture says this morning 
is that when Jesus came, he broke the burdensome yoke that was upon the people. So how did Jesus break this yoke? Do you know, church, and I Googled this. I encourage you to do the same thing. Today, currently, there are 613 Jewish laws. 613 Jewish laws. And devout Jews are bound to every single one of them. So, how in the world can anybody keep 613 laws? Consider the original Ten Commandments, the Ten Laws of God. They were not intended to, to keep us, but they, they, were, they were intended for us to realize that we could not keep them. That, that, that we were in desperate need and help of a Savior. And that Jesus, Jesus, church, Jesus broke the yoke of bondage. Church, listen, I am free. I am not free to sin. I am free from the bondage of sin. He broke the yoke, but it gets better. Verse 5 tells us of a time of a permanent peace, a time of no more world war. Have we seen this come? Have we seen this come to pass yet? No. No, we haven't. But it will come as all the other prophecies have come true. Verse 6 tells us of how everything we read, everything that we're going to read this morning, how it's all going to happen. Well, how's it going to take place? Look at verse 6. Verse 6 tells us this. It says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son... Uh, 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 a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never, never, ever end. Only because of Jesus. Only because of Jesus, church. There's no other reason, there's no other way that this can happen other than Jesus, only because of Jesus. If Jesus had not come, church, the world would be the state that it's in that we see in chapter 8 and chapter 10 today. And to be honest, we're not, close from, not, not far from it. But what's going to take place further in the future during the millennial reign of Christ? And thereafter is seen in verse 6b and 7. Our scripture says that the government will be on his shoulders. Y'all know what that means? There ain't going to be no more elections. It's going to be done and over with. There's not going to be any more corrupt politicians. It's going to be over with. The government will be upon his shoulders. Y'all, I, I, I don't know if y'all have done this, but I, I mean, I, Amy won't let me look at the news, but, you know, I, I see stuff on social media from time to time. Does it not boggle y'all that our legislators, I think their salary is like $120,000, $130,000 a year, and they got like $87 million in the bank? 
Does that not boggle your mind? So, something's wrong there. You, you hear me? And people know it, they see it, and there's still nothing being done about it. Nothing. Listen, I don't care who you voted for in this last election. Do you hear me? I don't care. It's done. But when they show pictures the night of the election and the election officials are putting pizza boxes up on the window because they don't want you seeing what's taking place, something's wrong. I mean, I'm not not a superstar. You don't have to be. Something's wrong. Brother Kyle, what are you talking about? In this time that we're seeing in our scripture, 700 years before Jesus is even born, our scripture says the government will be on his shoulders. The government will no longer be corrupt. Amen? I look forward to that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. No more media. Woo! Thank you, Lord Jesus. But it gets better. Isaiah says he will be named Wonderful Counselor. Y'all tried to book anybody or tried to find a counselor in the past five, six years? We had a family member that really needed some counseling. Reached out to us. The only counseling we could find for this person was at the Baptist Center. What's the name of the? Hugs. Three months later. Three months later. Well, what are you saying, Brother Kyle? Jesus is the mighty counselor. He, he is. He is the, the wonderful counselor. You don't have to make an appointment. Honestly, you don't need to make an appointment today. You know what you, all you have to do? Get alone by yourself and start this right here. You say, Lord Jesus. And guess what? You are in the presence of the mighty counselor, the wonderful counselor. That's good news, isn't it? All because he came. But it gets better. He is the mighty God. There is no other, there will be no other than him. He is the eternal. The eternal father means that his reign will never end. We've had presidents, y'all, since I'm 51. I've had, I don't know how many presidents. Some I was like, oh, thank, oh gosh, thank, thank you, Jesus, thank you. And other ones I'm like, I can't wait for these people to nut job to get out. But our scripture this morning tells us his, his reign is eternal. He is the prince of peace. We'll finally have peace. His dominion will be vast and prosperity will never end. Never end. You know, it never fails. It, you, you look at our economy. And when this group is in, it does pretty good. And when this group's in, it, I mean, it just goes to pot. Y'all, y'all, have y'all pulled up to gas stations here lately and, and gone to get your gas? And right there where it says, you know, how much you're going to pay, there's stickers with certain people doing this right here. So I did this. Y'all seen, have y'all seen that? Y'all seen that? Hey, listen, when Jesus reigns, we'll have prosperity forever. Brother Frank, we, no more voting. It's done. It's over with. Prosperity forever. No more going down the opposite side. But listen, it says, he will sit on the throne of David to establish and sustain justice and righteousness forever. All things, church, all things will be, may be made right through him forever and ever and ever and ever. And Isaiah prophesied it over 700 years before he came. That's amazing. Church, all of this is going to happen for two reasons. Everything that I just said is going to happen for two reasons. 
The first reason is seen in verse 7b, the very end of seven, uh, uh, verse 7. It says this, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. All of this is going to happen because it's God's will. It's God's will. And if it's God's will, there's nothing man can do to stop it. Praise the Lord, we have something that man can't put his hands on and mess it up. But there's a second reason. There's a second reason why all of this is going to happen. Are y'all ready for it? Look at verse 6 again. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. All of this happened because Jesus came. All of, it's gonna, all of it's happened or will happen because Jesus came. Church, we have a great reason to celebrate the birth of Christ, the child of Christmas. We have a great reason. This world needs to see us celebrating the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Is he your king? Is Jesus your king? He can be right now this morning. Let's all stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father in heaven, we glorify your name. We, we can't imagine the things that, that you're preparing for us right now. But Lord, we, we praise you in every way. Our, our scriptures tell us over and over, and pastors and theologians have told us over and over and over again that the first miracle was when you turned water into wine at the Canaan wedding. But God, I beg to differ. One of the first things you ever did was came into this world. And it was a miracle. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll just excite us about the time that we're living. This time. You, you created us to live in this time and celebrate who you are. Help us to do that. But God, if there's somebody in our congregation or watching live stream that does not know you as their personal Savior, I pray that today will be their day of salvation. Lord, during this time of invitation, I pray that you would move, your Holy Spirit would move. And if there's somebody here who needs to, to know you this morning, that wants to know you this morning, you'll give them the strength to walk down the aisle and let me show them what Scripture says each man must do to be born again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you for your promises, Lord. Thank you for your prophecies. Be with us right now to your invitation, Jesus. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, do you need to come? As the music plays, do you need to come?